Well, wasn't that a brilliant video? Now, you may think that we forgot Pentecost was last week. We do know that. Many of you would have seen that video played last week in our Pentecost Praise meeting. You would have seen many familiar faces if you're part of our LCF family here, uh, which is just a representation of our church, isn't it? It's over 50 nations that meet here in this building week by week when we can. So it's just amazing to see that in all different languages. And I think really gives a sense of what was happening on the day of Pentecost. And if you're not aware, the day of Pentecost was the day that the Holy Spirit came And he filled the men and women gathered in an upper room, 120 people, and they went out. And as you saw, they started speaking in all these different languages. And if that shows you anything, it shows you that the Holy Spirit empowered people for all people. You see, he didn't just empower the people in the upper room to go out and speak in Hebrew or Aramaic or Greek or Latin. You know, the big countries of the world at the time or the local area. We see Pamphylia and Phygra, Egypt, Cappadocia, uh, all these different different places are represented and the disciples are speaking the gospel message and it's this Sunday in Mission May we are going to speak about a mission that we are doing here at LCF we've heard over the past four weeks of local organizations that we partner with and support but we just wanted to take a moment to stop and reflect on the last 12 months that's something on something that's been really close to our heart and it wouldn't have escaped your attention that this week on Tuesday 25th of May that it was the one-year anniversary of the death of George Floyd and all of the uh, uproar and storm and media of that horrific murder was placed in front of our eyes on screens and newspapers and social media where we saw this horrific murder of uh, an image-bearer of God leaning on the neck of another image-bearer of God and seeing his life uh, just completely fade uh, over minutes. It was horrific. And, of course, this wasn't an isolated incident. Just weeks before, we saw Breonna Taylor, we saw Armand Albury uh, attacked racially because of the colour of their skin. And we were really, really shook by that, Becky and I, because I think, obviously, as white people, we knew that racism existed, but it was always something that was out there and beyond. But what George Floyd did, the, the murder of George Floyd, it really highlighted that this isn't an isolated incident that happens far away. This is something that happens day in, day out, all across our world, and dare I say, even in our local community and town. And of course, as I watched the uproar and everything happening on the news, on the newspapers, on social media, I just felt a scripture I'm going to share with you in just a moment drop into my heart because, of course, in a social media digital age, it's really, really easy to jump online and put a hashtag, whether it's Black Lives Matter or hashtag George Floyd. And absolutely, we, we do that because it brings awareness. But I think the... The difficulty of social media is it can put forth that we are doing something or you are doing something and actually you don't have to do anything at all. And there's this scripture I just want to read to you that came to my mind in the weeks and months following the murder of George Floyd that really stuck with me. It's in Amos 5 and I believe it's going to come up on the screen as well. It says this, this is God talking to his people. He says, I hate, listen to how how aggressive this language is. I hate and I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Then pay attention to this, verse 24. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. You see, what God is saying there to his people, he's saying, you know, what you were doing, it might look good. You were ticking the boxes, you were putting the hashtags, you were doing all the things that you were expected to do. But it is empty and it is hollow and it is not making a difference. And as that verse was ruminating in my mind, and I was seeing, you know, the Blackout Tuesday when social media, Instagram, Facebook, the picture of black squares and the hashtags were coming up. I thought the trap for us here as the church, not just us locally, but us globally, is that we can be looked to be doing something and do absolutely nothing at all. And dare I say, as the weeks progressed and the months progressed, the big uproar and the outrage, it started to fade into a whisper. And there's been pockets, of course, and spikes where it's been prevalent again. But so many people have just put the hashtag and not done anything else with it. And and we were really conscious as we were meeting as pastors and our eldership and our staff team. We said we do not want to be a church who is 
speaking in the moment, is shouting in the moment because everyone else is. We want to make sure we put meat on the bones of what this is bringing to the fore, not only in our society and community, but in our church and in our lives as well. So we want to take some time today. Becky's going to come up in a moment uh, and Nanaji as well. And we really want to talk to you about what we are doing here at LCF. You would have seen some prevalent things on our social media, on our website, as we've got up and we've preached and we've taught, but there's so much that has been happening behind the scenes. And we don't just want to be known for the hashtags and the social media noise. We want to make sure, and we said to our church last year, we want to make sure we're being held accountable and we are really chasing after the heart of God. The Amos verses there, they tell us that God isn't interested in just what we say, he's interested in what we do. And I believe there is nothing closer to the heart of God than the issue of justice. So before we do that, I'd encourage you if you're at home, get your notepads and your pens ready and if you're in the building as well. But we're going to take our offering as our team get ready in the building. Uh, This is something we do as an act of our worship here at LCF. It's for our regular attenders and our members. So please don't feel obligated to give if you're a guest or you're a visitor. But as we do that and we get set up in the building, please turn your attention to the screen for new name, a song prepared by our worship team. Thank you, church. Amen. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that the truth? Amen. Amen. You can shout amen at home. Shout at your telly if you believe it, that Jesus is mine and he's yours and he's your friends and he's neighbours. We could just go on and on. But welcome back. This is Racial Equality Sunday to end our mission May. What a great way to end. And as Mike was just explaining there, you know, we're not just passionate about this mission, but we're committed to it. And I am someone that's never considered themselves passionate about social justice, but I'm committed It was when the event of George Floyd happened, when his murder happened, and I saw members in my own church family that were affected by it, that something rose up inside of me that was like, we've got to be committed to change. And in a few moments, I'm going to share with you practically what some of the steps and the changes that we're going to be making here in our own church, and we have been doing in our own church. But before we do that, I want to start with where it started for me starts with people. So I wanted to have a chat with one of our incredible women in our church, in our own community. You are amazing. I don't know what you're squinting for. You are amazing. This is Nanadi. And we're just going to have a little chat today just to, you know, make sure we're putting people on this, on, this, on this issue that we're talking about and always remembering that this is about people. So Nanadi, introduce yourselves to us. Tell us who you've brought with you today and how long you've been coming to this church. Okay. Um, I'm Ninadi Adamu, and I'm here with my husband Yusuf, uh, my son Zachary, who's 10 on Thursday, and uh, Michaela, who's five. Come on, let's give them a round of applause. I think this is, this is your kid's first time back in the building, yes, isn't it? Yeah, we Welcome 14, back. 14 months, they said. And you know what? I was so inspired by you because you came in, you were like, I don't want to miss the children's programme. I don't want to miss Vic. Yeah. So, you know, you were like, you didn't want to, they felt cheated. Yeah, they were Zachary's like that. He, he gets very competitive and he didn't want to miss out. So he had to watch it on his phone. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That's really yeah. going to encourage our children's worker. And just for everyone watching, all the kids watching, Kids Church is coming back unless the government put a hold on it. But if not, we are raring to go. We can't wait to have all our kids back in the building. Nanadi, how long have you and your family been calling Luton Christian Fellowship home? Okay, we've been here for, it'll be 16 years in November, so we got married. And I'll just go into the question about sort of my background. Yeah, tell us about where you've come yeah, from. So I'm Nigerian. I grew up in a city called Kaduna in northern Nigeria. And uh, I was the only girl, have three brothers and the second child. So I was born somewhere else in a city called Katsina. Those of you who do know the geography of Nigeria, so it's proper north. And uh, my mum and dad and myself and my older brother moved to America where they went to study. So, and then we moved back to Nigeria to Kaduna where my mom grew up. So uh, growing up was quite simple, if you like, uh, a typical African setting. Uh, my mum and dad were educated and had government jobs, so we were sort of working class. I don't know, the classes are very divided now, but 
we were we were privileged in a way and and then my dad went into ministry and gave that up so I grew up a preacher's kid and it's just the normal way you go to school you finish you go to university you finish you're expected to get married and so uh, my dad started to ask me uh, when I turned about 19 so who are you talking to what you know what's going on who's their family and I'm like no I'm not ready and and it went on and on so when I was just about to finish law school uh, I was 24 my dad again said, what's going on? And uh, who are you talking to? And I was really not talking to anyone at that time. And then Yusuf phoned, who I'd kind of known for seven years. And he's like, uh, are you dating anyone? No, let's get married. Okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and that was it. And he was here at Luton doing his master's at the University of Luton then. And that's how uh, I finished law school and literally just got married and moved to a strange land where I knew no one. Well, I did know people. I have family members in London, Manchester, but I didn't know anyone here in Luton. So we moved to Luton in uh, sort of April. We got married in April, but I went back to finish my national service and came back in August. So we've been, we were going down to London to the church where he used to go. And, and one day he said, well, I said, you know, we were late. And he said, well, I sometimes go to a church here. It's full of old people. Sorry, Elsia. <laughs> you may not like it. And we came in and I sat up there and I just cried the whole service. You know, those of you who remember Alan in his prime, he will rip your heart out, you know, and, and I just cried the whole service because I was going through stuff at that time. And the next Sunday, we were early, like 10 o'clock, we were back here, sat again, and that's how we just stayed on. I'm like, old people, where? <laughs> you know, it was, it was fabulous. And this is how LCF became our home. So there's a warning there. The old people of the church will rip your heart out and <laughs> cause you to stay because they love you so much. Well, that's an incredible story. And I'll tell you what, Yusuf, you do not mess about. You're like, dating anyone? Great, let's do it. Married. Yeah. I love yeah. it. No messing. Yeah. So tell me, Nanadi, how, you know, coming to the UK, I mean, a lot changed for you because you came, became wife, mother and everything in between. Was Apart from all those changes, was there anything... Um, significant about the community here in the UK and in Nigeria? Yes, yeah, so growing up, um, the one thing I would remember is um, we, I was the only girl, so I played on my own a lot because the play at home was playing football. My brothers were just as always like a community football uh, match at the end of every school day, and, and I didn't fit into that, and I didn't have lots of friends. I, I just played on my own a lot, but weekends and holidays were special. We grew up um, like you know, my cousins and my sisters. I can't call them my cousins, I call them my sisters. So we all grew up in that way. Holidays were kind of a joint, you know, activity. We went one place together. And, and even the community, so I could get told, I could get beaten, in fact, by my neighbor. And if I did something wrong, and no one will bat an eyelid, because that's the way it was. And, and it was just community, it was so, it was just that closeness. And so coming here, I remember the first friend I made was Annie. She's right here. And it was just by chance because she was, uh, we were singing. We decided to sing uh, in the Christmas thing. Liz just did an announcement saying, well, if you, you don't even need to have to know how to sing. If you, we're looking for a, a bunch of people to join the choir and uh, from different countries because they were doing an R. Kelly song, I think it was. And we all had to dress up. So we actually wore our... Nigerian wedding uh, outfit, Yusuf and I, and came, you know, we joined, and that's how I met Annie. So she was literally the only friend I had, and, and, and so church for us was quite crucial, and, and I'll say that among, uh, that's, a, that's the case for many people who are migrants as well, who come here, um, and there's a conception that everyone who comes here comes here for um, economic purposes, and that's not always the case, and, and they sometimes think, you know, you, you've come to, a, to greener pastures. I think my life went down when I came here, and that's the honest truth. Um, sorry, babe, because <laughs> I came for marriage, but, you know, it's so different in the sense that it's a different life, like there's water, yes, there's electricity, but there's something that's missing, and that what's missing is the soul, and, and a psychologist I follow on Twitter, Gillian Cleone, calls it epistemic homelessness. And, and when, she, when I heard it, I thought, that, that makes sense. You don't feel any sense of belonging. You don't feel like you belong at home because I've been gone too long. And you don't feel like you belong here either. And that's one thing that's significant among most people who migrate here. Not everyone has a better life. Not everyone has moved here for a better life. And so the, the, the role of the church is quite crucial because people 
literally depend on the community that they get in church for survival. And that's the case for me as well. That's amazing. You know, as you were talking there as well, I was just reminded that, you know, all of us are foreigners. All All of us are wanderers and aliens because we're not citizens of this earth. We're actually citizens of heaven. So it's almost like when you get that feeling... There's almost, do you feel like there's more of a connection to, to God and heaven? Absolutely, absolutely. And this is, this is earth. Earth is here for us to, we pray your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So, you know, what do you expect? This is an extension of heaven. And I was going to make this point later on, but I, I'll just say it now since it's come in my mind. Mm-hmm. When people don't get along with people, people treat other people differently because they're a different race. Or people say, well, I'm uncomfortable with that sort of singing or that sort of loudness. What, what do you think heaven looks like? Mm. What, are you looking, what are you expecting? Have you read re- Revelations? <laughs> they literally say, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, over and over again in loud voices. So, you know, this is an extension of what heaven is. And for us, we get to see heaven and earth yeah. lived through our church community. Awesome. Come on, I think let's put our hands together for that. So let's talk about racism. You know, racism is a word that is being quite prevalent at our table with our little kids. We've got small kids, slightly smaller than yours, but um, there was a season where racism was the problem for everything in the house. I'd be like, no, we don't do that. And they're like, yes, it's racist. No, 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 no. So we had to really educate our kids on what actual racism looked like. Um, so we're becoming a house that's really, I think we realise that we haven't, we haven't spoke about it. It's been a bit of a taboo thing. And you know what? We can say racism. If we don't say racism, we can't expect our kids to be bold enough to call it out when they see it. So racism, racism, if we have to say it, we have to say it until it's gone. And so as a black woman in the UK... In what ways might have you experienced um, overt or covert racism? Okay, I've experienced both, unfortunately, and I think many people will uh, resonate with that. Some, and I think some people might say, well, I haven't re- experienced any sort of racism. Sometimes it's a form of denial because you almost think, well, I, I don't think anyone will actually treat me differently. But for me, uh, you know, I'll mention just a, a couple of, of experiences. And, and one is particularly... Um, hard for me because the very first time it, it, it affected not just me, it affected myself and my son. And uh, we went, so I was, uh, Michaela was a little baby and one of my colleagues that I used to work with was quite posh and she had a holiday home up in, uh, I wasn't going to say the place, Cornwall, <laughs> at Penzance, I think it was. And she offered us her place to go for holiday and, 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 and we went and we went to a particular uh, beach and uh, we there was this Yusuf is an African man I was afraid of the water so he's like I'll stay with the baby you know so he was sat with Michaela and I was exactly very adventurous wanted to do everything so I went with him right to the middle and we went to so it's sort of like a, a patch of water and um, a wall across two sides I and mean, lots of kids were there we were the only black family there and this is something that you tend to do as a black woman or particularly as a black mum you size up the room as soon as you get into a place you kind of calculate oh, there's an, an Indian over there you know uh, so you kind of size up the room and I sized up the place and I thought okay it's just us alright and and suddenly this group of boys climbed up to the fence and started to chuck water at us and and Zachary doesn't know he's saying what and they were chucking water at us and 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 at first I thought no they've just been naughty and then I said stop it and then they laughed and said does she speak English and that's when I knew that it was just us so I was trying to move away and I stood next to this mum and still they'll angle it and chuck it right just at us myself and Zachary and, and so he asked me, why are they doing that to us? And I said, it's because we're different. And at that time, he was just, I can't remember, maybe six or five, and having to explain that to a child that they're doing something to because you're different. And in the end, the lady ended up calling the um, lifeguard or something to tell them off and, you know, threatened to send them away. But when I told Yusuf, he was very like, no, are you sure? Not now. I don't think it's racism. You know, if you don't experience it, you sort of uh, excuse it. And that very evening, we went back home, had a shower, we drove to Land's End, drove back. So our friend had told us that uh, we needed to go to a particular restaurant because uh, a Michelin star chef worked there. And so on our way back, Yusuf stopped to go and book a table for us. And he was in his shorts and trainers. And he walks in, and the girl at the 
desk, whatever was taking a book in, and then someone came in from the back, looked at him, said something in her ear, and then he, they said, sorry, we don't have any space. What about tomorrow? No, we don't have any space. They literally wouldn't give us any, any booking, and he storms out, and I laugh, and I'm like, oh, you know, good for you. You know, I thought you denied that racism exists. So that was the first, like, not the first, but that stood out to me because it happened with me and my child, and it happened to us as a family. And, and subtly, you find it, even in the Christian community, and that's the truth, you find where people get a bit uncomfortable because you're different. I remember taking Zachary again to um, Urban Saints, the, should I have said that? <laughs> the, the bookshop. And I know they're staffed by volunteers and stuff. And, and I remember um, the lady, she's an elderly woman, and again, we give excuses and we say their generation was different. But again, you know, should it really be? Should we not just be one regardless of your age? And, and she kept following us. And at one point, Zachary took something. And I had taken him there to pick a few things. And I was going to buy him a treat, you know. And they have little comics and stuff that, that I like him to buy. But I wanted him to do it himself. And he'd picked something. And he'd taken it apart. And I don't know. I really don't know. But he didn't, we, he, he, he didn't put it in his pocket or anything. But he held it and took it apart like it was already his. And so she came and tried to make a fuss like he was trying to steal it. And at that time, I actually believed he was trying to steal it. I was like, oh, you know, and I made this whole fuss and we just dropped it and left. And I phoned my mom and my mom says, no, he's not a thief. You know your son. So examine other things, you know, examine the reaction of other people. And that's the sort of thing you have to deal with. I, can't, I don't let him wear a hoodie because, <laughs> um, you know, he's not allowed to put his hood up. And that's because I don't want him, it's called, you know, symbolic interactionalism, where people react to a symbol. And, and the symbol could be dress, it could be, and it's literally the same person could wear the same outfit and be all right. But he has the added thing to worry about, which is his colour. So, yeah, we've had a lot of conversations. He knows, he watches when I prepare my lecture. Every second semester I do a lecture in week six about policing and the and ethnic minority communities and it's so hard that week but we, we experience it together and he's just 10 he's 10 next week but he'll tell you about Stephen Lawrence he'll tell you about stuff because I teach him they have to know because there are things systematically that will influence their experiences here and we came here on our own we chose to come here I chose to stay they didn't and that's an extra burden as a black mom, because you bring your child. They didn't choose to be here. We, we brought them up. We're choosing to bring them up here, where they are the minority and where a system is set up in such a way that they have to work extra harder. It's Nathaniel, isn't it? Your little boy. Zachary. Zachary, sorry. Zachary. Um, my little boys are six now. And I tell you, when they meet you in the kids' church, when it opens up, they're going to look up to you and they're going to want to follow you around. And, you know, the conversations that your mom's had to have with you, um, it's forced me to have to have them with them as well. Okay, so you're not on your own. And you, I believe you're going to be a callist in our church, but even beyond. All Amen. right? I know that God's got big plans for you and on your life. So, Nanadi, can we just applaud him and his family again? <laughs> Nanadi, um, how did the murder of George Floyd um, affect you then? And how do you feel now about it a year on? Okay, so that, I'll give a bit of context. Uh, the murderer, uh, my family, my mom's family live in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And, and the murderer actually lives on the same road as wow. my grandma. So it's close so, to home so, personally. Yeah, so it's actually, and, and my brother, my older brother is the big black guy. He, he lives there, and my uncles, my cousins. So this is, this is not a faraway experience. It's an experience that we can relate to where, you know, I think we've, gone, we've grown to live with it and accept it, but there's that niggling fear that lives there that it could be them. I know we pray Psalm 91, and my, my mom is a pastor's wife. She's a pastor on her own as well, and she'd plead the blood of Jesus and all of that. But there's always that little concern. And I remember the death of George, George Floyd. Again, we had conversations in our house about it. I, I can't say I felt sad. That's the wrong word. I was filled with anger. I must admit, I was angry. I wasn't sad because I thought, we still live in a world, unfortunately, where people think 
that we are less because of the color of our skin. So it wasn't sadness. I'm not giving that my sadness. I have other things to be sad about. I gave it my anger. I remember feeling so angry one day. I drove to the Downs. I parked my car and I cried. I couldn't cry at home. I couldn't cry anywhere else. I just cried in the car and drove back home. But I don't want to talk too much about it because it's obviously, it's, it's traumatizing, it's traumatic. And people might say, oh, she's exaggerating because she's so far away, but that's, that's your call. And, and I say this to fellow black people who might think it's not that bad or it's not that we deserve it because, you know, I think get checked. There's something about trauma that makes you feel you have to give excuses. It's not right. No matter what, it's not. We are made in God's creation. And so it, it, I would say anger, and that's the honest truth. I've had to repent. I've had to ask God to help me. It's been a process. I'm not sure I'm completely over it. It's it, Because, again, it's not like it happened and that was it. You've heard week after week, even after the judgment, or like I sat waiting for the judgment to be read after the jury where, you know, retired. I sat for the whole hour. It was, wait. I just sat in one place, waiting. I couldn't do anything. Sat down, waiting for, to hear that guilty read out. But that same week, again, another murder, another murder, another murder, and it just keeps coming. And I know they might say, well, it's America, but for me, this is home. Yeah. It's not really home, but for, for my family, it's home. So it could be my, my nephew, or my brother, or my child, Zachary's an American citizen, and he's desperate to move back there. So, again, that's just our reality. No, thank you for being so authentic and honest. And, um, you know, something that's been really inspiring about you and challenging, actually, about you is your ability to power on and to look to Jesus and remain actually positive so I wouldn't have said you were angry when I met you. Mm-hmm. And when we've been, even had, been in conversation about these things, I wouldn't say Nanadi's angry. In fact, I think she keeps me in check about my own anger. And so you've been a challenge to me personally, and I think you're incredible. So just share with us lastly as we finish. In a reality where racism is real, how do you practice self-care? Just some advice for people as well. Um, I'd like to say one thing uh, before I go into self-care. Um, and it's about when I think about the whole Black Lives Matter movement and people say, well, all lives matter in response to Black Lives Matter. Um, I like to think I saw this and it was a pastor who gave the illustration and it was the parable of the, the 99 versus the one where, well, we could have said, what about the 99? Their lives matter. But Jesus went after the one. And that is our Jesus. So. When we say black lives matter, it's not that the other lives don't matter, but Jesus left the 99 more. Like if he was an African pastor, he would say, one sheep, God bless you. Hope you make it home soon. I'm staying with my 99, you know, because we're sometimes about numbers. But Jesus left the 99 for the one. And that leads me to my message in self-care. This is what I've done. I tell myself, I tell my kids, I tell my friends who we are in Christ. It doesn't matter what people say about you. It doesn't matter that the system is so structured in a way that you constantly doubt yourself. In my job, I have to work extra hard. It's the reality. I'm the lowest paid course leader, but I work the hardest. Is it because of my race? I don't know. I can't say for sure. But this is what keeps me, is who I am in Christ. And I've got a few verses that I wanted to read off my phone, but I'll just say them here. Galatians 3, verse 26 says, We are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So regardless of who you are, brown, white, pink, whatever it is, we are all children of God. Isaiah 43, verse 4 says, You are precious in my sight and honored, and I love you. I mean, that surpasses anything else. So, you know, funny that the, uh, the UK uh, report on racism found that the, the country is not racist. They can say what they want. We can look the fact that they are racist in the eye and say, we know the truth. The fact is different from the truth. The truth is who we are in Christ. 
And that's where we are as a church. And that's why we are stronger as a church. Because in the church, we need to make it our goal not to let things matter. And if we can all feel that we are all one in Christ, that we are all loved equally the same, then we're making progress. Philippians 3 verse 20 says, we are citizens of heaven. That's amazing. That's better than any passport. That's better than any access that this world has to give. We're citizens of heaven. And I like to say this, love yourself. That's the beginning. Love yourself. The death of Jesus Christ defines your value to God. These are things I write down and I say to myself when I start to feel a little bit less, or I feel like I have to start making excuses. I am worth the very life of Jesus. If it was just me, if it was just black Africans, black Caribbeans, India, if it was just us, Jesus would still have died. And that's facts. Church, let us arise to the challenge. We can do it. I think it starts in the church. I really do think so. I think we have a unique position where we can start the change. And it comes by genuinely embracing everyone, giving everyone equal access, equal access to whatever it is that the body of Christ is. Remember that there will be people like me for whom this is it. My kids have, a, have white grandparents. My care group leaders are their grandparents here. Now, it's not done normally. Where you know, what, what are we on about? But it shows that in Christ, we are one. Yeah. And if we can try as a church, I think we're on the right track. I think there's a lot coming up that will show that there is something being done. Then we can make a difference. Thank you. Amen. Come on. <laughs> Woo. I feel like you could have kicked back that chair and just preached the rest of the Sunday, Nanadi. Come on, let's give it up again for Nanadi <laughs> and the Adamu family. Thank you so much for joining us today and, um, you know, your family. I don't really have to thank you for showing up to the house, but thank you for coming. And you know what? We're going to just watch um, a video now, just a quick video to bring us all up to date on the work that we started last year. And when we watch this, I'm then going to jump on the back of it to then demonstrate what's next. Um, so let's just turn our attention to the screens. So Sharon, we've been talking, uh, we've been having five race groups. Can you remember why we started them? Well, the reason why we started them was because we became aware that people had been very badly affected by the George Floyd issue. And as we held our meetings, prayer meetings, etc., we noticed that people were upset. Yeah not just BAME people. So we decided that we needed to address the issue. Yeah, I remember that really clearly, actually, kind of coming to that Zoom prayer meeting that Pastor Mike and Becky had arranged and people were sharing, weren't they? Yes. And mm -hmm. people were really weeping, weren't they? Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, we, we started them. And how, how have those groups gone? Well, um, the groups have gone very well, actually. We've had five groups um, over 10 meetings, five different subjects, and yeah. over 50 plus people wow. have, um, have attended. And what we were struck by was a complete honesty of people. A lot of very painful issues were raised by just discussing those things, yeah. but people were brave enough to to bear their souls in, yeah. you know, so that we can address this well. Because we, we looked, didn't we, at, at children in LCF. Uh, we looked at young people. Yes. We looked at community. Yes. We looked at church. Yes. And then we looked at spiritual oversight. Yes, that's right. And uh, I, I, like you, remember how honest and open everybody was. Yes. And there weren't any no-go areas, really. No. Um, and I felt it was a really good beginning of a, a much longer process yes, yes what we would hope was that eventually everybody in lcf would have the chance to have their say and that's absolutely everybody um the age range that we covered was for the youngest was 13 and i think i worked out that there was 70 years wow. between oldest and youngest really wow. 
And we really, really appreciate everybody that came on board and helped us. And as we say, eventually everyone will have the chance to contribute to that. I think we were all really shocked, weren't we, about George Floyd's murder and it was so shocking. And uh, I I think this is really a time of change and we sense that. And I know Pastor Becky had really felt that we needed to you know, not kick this into the long grass, yes. but really head it uh, face up to what, the, what, what, how we should be as a, yes. a Christian community. That's right. And um, so, do you know some of the, the ideas for the future and where we go from here, or what's been happening? Well, what we've done so far is um, we've created five reports and sent recommendations to Becky, who will be passing them on to the elders, and. I don't know what the end would be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that. no, that, that, that's right. We don't, do we? But that's that's no. the exciting thing. But mm. I, I just think it's probably important for everybody to understand this was the beginning yes. of of a much longer process, and the heart is for as many people, everybody, yes. to be involved mm. in mm. in in looking and discussing and looking at ourselves. And really, we want to reflect God's kingdom of justice. Yes. You know, mm. when when we pray the Lord's prayer, we're saying. Lord, your kingdom come on earth yes, as yes. it is in heaven. Mm. And we know in uh, you know it's level ground at the foot of the cross. Yes. Everybody yeah. is equal and welcome. That's and right. we want to you know live that out yeah, in, in yeah. practical ways. Mm. Yeah, mm. yeah. So it's been a it's been a good time, hasn't it? I've it so has. enjoyed us working a little bit together. Yes, it's and been uh, with all of those yes. other fifty people. Yes. And yeah. uh, I think we've we've made some really good progress yes. and um it, it will get rolled out and yeah. people will hear more and more about it in the time ahead yeah and may i thank you as well pastor nigel because mm. you for your pastoral care in those meetings mm. because we needed it a lot of the time so thank you very much indeed for your contribution wow, it's just been and a, it's been a pleasure working with yeah you we we kind of uh yeah, we, we're really fond of each other and yes. we, we kind of know and respect each other as, mm. as indeed the, the whole group. And so, yeah, uh, yeah it's going to be good and uh, I think we're going to make some some really good things yeah. will come out of this. And yes. I hope it will be, a, a, you know, what we're doing in LCF will actually be a, an inspiration and maybe in, inspire other, other churches to address these issues because yes. the issue of race is, is such, uh, of such importance. Indeed. Indeed, yes. Thank you. Thank you. Great. So that was Pastor Nigel there and Sharon, who is one of the most valuable members on a very valuable member on our staff team. Pastor Nigel, for those that don't know, who may be new, was the interim pastor before Mike and I joined the church in was it 2020? early 2020 and he stayed with us for a couple of months and so we were really fortunate to have him and he has some experience in this area of social justice so it was really great for Sharon and Nigel to partner up and start to make the first steps in in this way by doing working groups I think they said there they held 10 different working groups in all areas around the church and I just want to say this before I move on to what's next so Sharon said there she doesn't know what's next but I'm here to tell you to follow up our commitment from last year of what's coming but I just want to say this because Mike and I are relatively new pastors here it's not that we're coming in and we're going to eradicate racism from LCF like right, this was a big problem here in this church no that's not the case at all we're here going as personally as pastors going this is an area that we want to really excel in and do better in and actually some of the strengths that we first noticed when we came to our new church was this strong sense of family family this is such a family orientated church which means that there is fantastic foundations this is actually quote what someone said from our working groups just this week to me you've had such a fantastic family foundation here at LCF where we've always been passionate about family and community and mission and so it's almost been like a launch pad into this kind of uncharted territory where we're just taking the responsibility to where our strengths are to keep going higher and higher in the things of God and I'm really passionate about making sure we strengthen what is already a strength here in our church. So are you with me? 
as I get into just some of the practical steps. So we took all of those reports and we sat with them as an eldership. And I just want to say that every one of our elders were part of those forums and working groups themselves as well. But once we had the reports, I just want to say a massive thank you as well to every single participant that was on those working groups. We had people from youth group up to people that have been here in the church for years and years. And so what we've done with that is that we have compiled a timeline, an action plan if you like and that timeline that we've produced is coming up on your screens that is going to be landing in your inbox after this service if you don't have emails with us then get in touch because we want to make sure that everyone can access this and this will just clearly take you through what we're planning to do from this May to next May and the other thing that will be coming in your in your inbox is another timeline that we reviewed the work from last year so you'll also be getting a past timeline from May last year from the start of the work when we saw George Floyd's murder to his anniversary to date today and there we'll highlight to you all the steps we have taken and we're showing you that because you can't always see what goes on behind the scenes but also we hope that that demonstrates that when you see this timeline for the following year that you'll have hope that it's actually going to happen because you'll see where we had a year where we didn't really have a lot of planning we still did something so this year when we have been planning we have been listening we have been getting teams together we pray that this is going to be an even better leap forward as we go so get your hands on that and we're not going to have any sermon notes like we normally do after the service we're replacing it with this so if you're in a life group we've got any friends that you know are passionate about this get with them and chat with them and you know when we tell you things when we show you things and send you things we love a church that talk back you don't have to be silent so if you read it and you've got questions or you've got things you like things you don't like things you're not sure you can actually come back to us we like you talking to us and I know our team all feel the same way about that. So I'm not going to go through the whole timeline, but I just wanted to highlight to you just a couple of the the things that you will find on there. And this has all come from a result of our working groups. And because there was so much in those reports, at the same time, you won't see everything on there because this is just the plan for the next 12 months. And you'll see at the end, it says to be continued. So one of the first things you'll see on there is we have put in steps that will help us protect our future. And what I mean by that is protecting the next generation. So we put practical things in there like updating our kids' church toys and stories and equipment. And actually, we've already started to do that because Vic, our children's worker, she began to go through all of our equipment, making sure it was COVID say she was like you know what I might as well double up and make sure we're really inclusive and representative with all of our toys and bits and bobs and I think a slide is going to come up here to show you some of the different bits and bobs that we've started to have delivered um We've also got this Facebook group for LCF families. I think it's called LCF Kids. And if you're not on there, that is a space for all of our families and our children to share ideas, not just about race, but you can also put your views out there. I put on that group this week. Uh, Here's some of the bits and bobs that we've had delivered. Why don't you tell us what are some of your favorite recommendations so we can make sure that we get them in our children's church. So if you're a family at LCF, you're not part of that, then get in touch and we'll make sure that you can come through on Facebook. If you're not on Facebook, then we can go through um, email to talk to us and just share any of your ideas. I think that's one of the biggest things that I've seen change um, over time is that I've seen that more of our black community are having permission to actually speak about things because we're, we're kind of given the opportunity by saying, no, we want to hear what your recommendations are. We're not going to say that it's silly and we want to do better. So you can talk to us and be bold about things um, that you see and speak up if you feel like you're missed. Um, not represented as well as you could be. And so the other thing that you'll see is you'll see steps that are helping us protect our past. So as we look to the future, we also want to protect people from the past. I think it's really healthy to keep one eye on the past in a healthy way. So what I mean by that is that you know, we might say, well, you know, slavery was abolished years and years and years and years ago. So why are we still talking about it? You know, we've, we've abolished that so you know we're moving ahead well no we need to remember firstly slavery being abolished wasn't actually that long ago it wasn't that long ago and until we stop seeing the effects of our ancestors the things that happened years and years ago until we stop seeing the things that happened in the past 
perpetrate pain in our present, then we have to keep talking about it. And we have to keep bringing it up. Why are we still talking a year on about George Floyd? Why? Because he was a catalyst. And two, because it actually wasn't that long ago. It was only like a few weeks ago that his murderers got sent to jail for doing what they did. And so I think it's good to keep a healthy eye on the past and recognize that though we're looking to protect the future and we're looking to, you know, make sure our next generation are educated, we need to remember that those right now who have, you know, maybe see everything going on now and feel encouraged, they might say, well, actually, you know, there's just been so long where this wasn't on the table. There's been so many years of my life that this wasn't spoken about or I felt like I was alone in it. It kind of isn't enough to, to feel happy right now because we're seeing changes. Well, you know what? We acknowledge you and we see you. There's people that are in our church that have experienced racism. There's people that are close to home that this has been a reality. And, you know, when George Floyd happened, it probably sent a lot of trauma, past trauma maybe come up. For people maybe that had never experienced it, started feeling anxiety for the first time maybe when they saw that event of George Floyd. And what we want to say is, no, we're not just drawing a line under your pain and saying, look, we're doing steps now, so let's not talk about the past. No, you know what? You can talk about the past. If you're in pain, you can talk about it. And I want to say as your pastor that if you ever have the courage to come and share about your experiences, I want you to know this is a place where you will be believed, but not only will you be believed, we want to get around you and we want to rally around you and pray for you and support you. And so one of the actions that we've put on our timeline is that we want as a church build a big bank of counsellors and people with the right expertise that can really speak and journey the, the process of restoration with you. As pastors, Mike and I, and our team we're not actually trained counsellors and so we're open to you our lines are open we can't actually walk all of those journeys in the best way to help you so we want to as a, a an action a practical action is start to build a bank of people that we know we can partner with you to walk through any pain that you may be experiencing and want to make sure that we can support you in doing that okay so that's something that's going to help us protect people that have been affected by the past and then lastly what we want to do is we want to protect our present we want to protect what's going on right now so we don't want to miss what God's doing just because we're just on this race for social justice now we want to have moments in our calendar where we go okay you know what we're just going to celebrate we're just going to pause. We're not, not acknowledging that bad stuff happens and racism is present, but we're going to stop and we're going to celebrate just like Black History Month. It's something that's on our calendar like any other national celebration. And it's going to be a time where we don't just talk about black pain, but we talk about black achievement and we celebrate. It was really loud and clear in our working groups that... Um, in the culture of churches all over, we, we tend to do like a one-year event where we celebrate culture and we bring the food and we bring the national dress. And what we want to do is make sure that is completely part of our blueprint, part of our every Sunday, just part of the life of our church. But that doesn't mean we need to have either or. doesn't mean we need to throw out the parties. No, we're going to keep the parties because we want to enjoy the present. As we are working for justice, we also want to enjoy the life that God has given us. And so we want to have these moments where we just celebrate. And also one of the things that you'll see on the timeline is that presently right now, we want to do uh, find out who we've actually got in our church. Mike said we've got over 50 nationalities in our church. We want to take a fresh survey, which is one of the action points. We want to have a look exactly who is present right now in our church. Let's update that information. And then when we've got that information, we can see where we're at. We can see who is here and how well are we representing or underrepresenting so we can get all the facts. And then we know who we're celebrating and um, maybe like what, I don't know. Just, it, just, it just sounds fun. It sounds exciting. And also the other thing we can do is that we've got presently right now in our church, we've got people from different nationalities, people that don't look like you or look like me, that see things differently. And so throughout all of our ministries, through worship, to youth, to life groups, to kids, we want to have a racial inclusivity representative in each of our teams just to help 
with extra eyes so that when you see something, you go, hey, let me show you so together we can carry the responsibility of working to change. More eyes on something just creates a beautiful picture just the way that Jesus intended. And you know, that's something we've already begun to example within our eldership team and on our staff team. You saw the beautiful Sharon up there who she was talking about the working group. She's on our staff and she is our representative in our staff team. And I just want to say, a public thank you to both Sharon, who's our staff representative, and Raymond, who was our elder representative, because both those people in our church, it's like when this all happened back in May, it's like they've just shouldered just side by side us as a team, just educating, sharing experiences and supporting. And I tell you, I don't think I could be committed to this the way that I have without those two incredible people that are in our church. So if you know them or if you don't know them, can you somehow encourage them this week? Let's just give a round of applause applause for Raymond, for Sharon, incredible people, incredible leaders and team that we are so thankful for that are around us. You are incredible and um, that's something that we want to have throughout our church. So that's um, just a few of the steps that I wanted to share and I just want to finish by sharing this scripture with you. I think it's going to come up on the screen. It's from Matthew And it's in chapter 5, verse 6. And it says, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. And when I read that, I just felt the Lord say to me, Becky, don't fight for justice. Thirst for it. Because, you know, when you're in a fight, you get out of breath and you get weary. And, you know, if you personally are advocating for this stuff and it personally affects you, it's even more tiring. And so that's where this, this... kind of word of celebration came in we want to take moments where we stop we want to take moments where we rest and we just celebrate what God's doing and we want to take moments where that's why I asked Nanadi about self-care because that's really important but we want to be a church that first for justice because when we first for justice we will be satisfied and we will be refreshed so when you're fighting you can end up quitting if you get worn out when you're fighting There'll be moments where then you're really affected when you lose. And so we're not going to be a fighting church that just beat the air. We're going to be a thirsty church because God loves justice. And we're going to thirst for justice and be refreshed. Amen. Come on, let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this incredible church that I just get the privilege of being part of. I thank you, Lord, for your heart for justice. And I just pray that mercy will flow. I pray right now for George Floyd's family pray that you will surround them with peace and comfort and love and that that would be replicated to all those people that have been affected by racism. Lord, we just want to say sorry. Lord, would you forgive us for where we may not have been actively anti-racist, for Lord, where we have not acknowledged maybe our privilege. Lord, by your grace, would you just flood our hearts and help us see clearly and keep in step with you in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. Okay, we've got a treat to finish off. Um, We're going to finish off here by hearing from Reverend Olivia, who is the executive director of the Elim denomination. And for those that don't know, we are an Elim church. um, So we're not just an independent church on our own. We're part of, I think it's 550 other churches that are part of the Pentecostal movement. And they have begun to take steps towards racial justice as a national movement. So we're not just doing this locally, we're attached to a denomination that are actually taking action nationally. And so I asked Olivia, who is the chair, not only is she the executive of the Uh, executive director of Elam but she's the chair of the racial task force within our movement and she sent us a personal message just to encourage us just to share her personal um, perspective on the situation and just to give us an insight of what we're doing nationally as well so let's turn the script turn our attention to the screens and see Olivia hello my name's Olivia Amati and I'm the executive director for the Elam Pentecostal Church based in Malvern I'm also the Associate Pastor of Cross Point Church in Birmingham. It's such a pleasure to be invited to share my personal reflections with you on this, the anniversary of George Floyd's killing. So thank you. You know, I can hardly believe that a year has passed since like many of you, I stared transfixed in absolute unbelief at what was unfolding before my eyes. 
Who can forget the words of a dying man? I can't breathe. Or the passers-by shouting, protesting, begging for his life, for leniency, for mercy. Or, and this stood out for me, the sight of the policeman kneeling on George Floyd's neck with his hands in his pocket. The hands in the pocket for me suggested that this policeman had disdain. He had a confidence and a carefree casualness about him. My initial shock was followed by tears and a simmering, then boiling anger. I felt traumatised, perhaps you did too. My anger and exasperation culminated in my attending a protest march in Birmingham city centre. That's the first time I'd ever taken part in such overt action. In the immediate wake of George Floyd's death, as people of colour, we were asked to share our experiences of being black in this society. We were asked to lay bare our pain, to display our vulnerabilities and to outline our grievances and unique issues. I'd never been so much in demand to answer questions about race and racial injustice. Questions that quite frankly have been asked for decades. As a woman of a certain age and being the first generation of immigrants, parents in, in the UK, I'd lived through riots in Handsworth and again in Lasalle's. These were areas that I'd grew up in and that I knew really, really well. You see, I'd experienced firsthand the issues that arise when one community feels victimised, targeted and treated as second rate for nothing other than the colour of their skin. And so I understood that our white friends wanted to draw near to us. They wanted to apologise for their ignorance. They wanted to get into the boat with us and then together with us to row to safe shores where racial injustice would become a distant land to which we would never travel again. However, and I'm going to be honest here, I confess that I, in common with many of my other friends, felt like we'd been here before. And frankly, I was tired, tired of being asked the same questions. It was John Barnes that said, he's been around a long time, perhaps a bit like me, and he's seen them kick racism out, show racism the red card, and he's seen all of these movements come and go over his lifetime as a footballer. And he says, the Black Lives Matter thing, and those are his words, not mine, is just another iteration of it. His point being, you can have these movements, but if these movements don't lead to anything, then what's the point? This is a really, really important question to ask. So you're going to ask, am I cynical? Am I resigned to a growing inertia or think that nothing can ever change? Absolutely not, definitely not. You see, I thank God that justice has been served and Chauvin, that nonchalant policeman responsible for George Floyd's death has been rightly convicted. But now, a year on, what next? How do we fix it? I believe that this could be and is our opportunity for the finest hour. I was heartened to see the protests being led by young people of all colours across the world, all united in disgust at the prevailing police brutality in the US, of course, but yes, here in the UK too. It gave me hope that this generation will not take no for an answer. I really believe with every fibre of my being that Jesus followers and the church are the very ones that can make a difference in this arena and we find precedence in the scriptures. Micah 6 verse 8 says this, he said, he has told you what is good and what it is the Lord requires of you, only to act justly, to love faithfulness and to walk humbly with your God. 
I particularly love what James 1, 22 to 25, the message translation says. It says this, don't fool yourself into thinking that you're a listener when you are anything but letting the word go in one ear and out the other. Act on what you hear. Those who hear and don't act are like those who glance in the mirror, walk away, and two minutes later have no idea what they are, what they look like, who they are. But whoever catches a glimpse of the revealed counsel of God, the free life, even out of the corner of his eyes, and sticks with it, is no distracted scatterbrain, but a man or woman of action. That person will find delight and affirmation in the action. Brilliant scripture. I believe we have the ultimate weapon of mass transformation, the outward demonstration of the inner work of Jesus and his Holy Spirit in our lives. We have countless examples of men and women of God who did not simply believe, but acted. Like them, it will cost us. It will cost us our time, our mindsets, maybe even our status as we move out of our own comfort zones to truly identify with and seek to change the status quo for those who suffer, suffer injustice of any sort. In Ealing, through the work of Catherine and Dominic D'Souza and the leadership of our General Superintendent Chris Cartwright and the leadership team, we are now fully awake to the issue of racial injustice. Of course, there are many other notable issues that we want to tackle, such as climate change, for example. But we are fully committed to doing what we can to make a difference. I've been asked to lead the Racial Justice Task Force, a small team of dedicated individuals, black and white, which includes your pastor, Becky. Together, we are advocating for and working towards meaningful, sustainable change within our denomination, not quick fixes. Your own church is on such a journey. You are pioneering this through your own mandate for change and your intentional actions will yield fruit that will remain. This is so heartening to see. In the meantime, we temper our eagerness and we exchange it for steadfastness to simply keep going, taking small steps at a time, making small gains. You and your church are on the journey to being the change you want to see. And I applaud you. May God bless you and thank you. <laughs>